Some of this opposition even comes from church members. Some who use personal reasoning or wisdom to resist prophetic direction give themselves a label borrowed from elected bodies, the loyal opposition. However appropriate for a democracy, there's no warrant for this concept in the government of God's kingdom, where questions are honored, but opposition is not. Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. So I'm sitting here at my work a couple of hours before we start, and I'm just thinking about the Elder Oaks quote that you just uh, you just heard before this uh, before the intro to the podcast and right after the talk on conference i made uh, the comment on facebook i said the idea that loyal opposition within the church is not allowed is is theologically doctrinally historically and logically false and i got to thinking i thought i, sh- I need to at least explain where i'm coming from on this and and there's also some other issues with this quote that I find I find really problematic. And again, you know, Elder Oaks, I, I love you, I appreciate you. And by doing this podcast, even of itself, I'm providing loyal opposition to the quote you just gave. Let's uh, let's go through it. At the end, let's let's go through it piece by piece and kind of break down a few other things I didn't like. But but let me share with you why I find this um, theologically doctrinally historically and logically uh, not true let's um let's start with historically so to say that loyal opposition doesn't belong in the church ignores the history of our faith for one you have Brigham Young and Orson Pratt going back and forth at each other at various moments in Brigham Young's presidency to the point where Brigham had the other 13 members of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve, convinced that the Adam-God doctrine was true, except that Orson Pratt holds out in loyal opposition to the idea. You also have the idea that when Brigham teaches Adam-God and tells you that it came from God and institutes it in various places in the church, including trying to implement it at the veil in the temple. And then you have years later, President Kimball and Elder McConkie stating that that was false doctrine in loyal opposition. The the issue is there's no clear-cut way to tell when man's opinion ends and God's mind and will begins. And and nobody wants to stand up and give us how to understand that and how to reconcile that and how to tell the difference. Nobody does that. 
The other thing it does is it undermines the individual who is offering loyal opposition. It undermines the the uh, idea that they might be getting their answer from the Holy Ghost. We already have on record the brethren unitedly being wrong, the prophet specifically being wrong on issues where he taught those or they taught those as official binding doctrine only to have later leaders say, yeah, they were racist and prejudiced and we're just going to toss that stuff aside as disavowed theories. So we already have it on record that prophet seers and revelators are, are not completely safely capable of discerning God's will at times versus their own opinions, which happen to be prejudiced by the cultures of their day. They're, they don't, they have not given us any way to make that distinction. And so we at least have to honor that those who are outside the 15, who are saying, hey, whoa, whoa, slow down. Let's think about this. Let's talk about this. Here's some problems with the way you're framing this. And asking questions, which never get answered, by the way. Asking questions, why not honor the fact that maybe they are led by the Holy Ghost? Maybe they're the ones who are receiving inspiration. Not that they're offering their inspiration as the absolute truth over the whole church. I totally get stewardship. I totally understand that we can't have general lay members of the church running around going crazy saying the prophet's wrong and we're right. I totally get that. And if that's the kind of opposition Elder Oaks is talking about, I'm all for it. We cannot... We can't have simple, you know, we can't have anarchy where every member of the church is walking in and saying, you guys are wrong and this is what we're going to do. I totally get it. The top 15 men lead the church and whatever they say goes. I totally get that. What I'm saying, though, is that people within the lay membership of the church need to have a voice to be able to ask sincere questions that the brethren actually take on an answer and don't just change the questions. There are great questions out there right now, and the church the church doesn't seem to quite have a good hold on how to explain itself in in a hundred different scenarios and in those explanations, when we come to grips with the fact that we can't sit down and really offer a good explanation and the in the person who's offering the critical argument to that has a better explanation and their their logic makes more sense and they're showing the harm that we are doing to church members then we at least need to listen and honor that loyal opposition as perhaps being led by the Spirit, that perhaps it's out of a Christ-like love for the church. Historically, historically, we have no way to discern as universally absolutely true where prophets, seers, and revelators' personal voice ends and where the mind and will of God begins. And hence, this is just not clean-cut as any time we give you prophetic counsel, your job is to get in line or be silent. That simply will not work. Number two, theologically. In our church, we have a set-up system that when revelation is had, it is presented to the church for the vote of common consent. That vote of common consent makes that prophetic counsel binding. When that prophetic counsel is offered for common consent, a vote of opposition is asked for. This has two points. One is that without it being accepted by common consent, it is not binding on the church. Hence, it is not prophetic counsel that one is bound by. There are numerous quotes throughout church leadership that say as much and teach as much. Number two is that you are asking for a vote of opposition. Any opposed, please manifest it by the same sign. That is asking for a vote 
of loyal opposition. Hence, loyal opposition theologically exists in the church. And to say it doesn't, to me, is silly. It's silly. You can't do that. You can't just simply take away the people's voice that you don't agree with simply because they disagree with you. The church has it set up so that, one, we don't give you any prophetic counsel that's going to be binding on you unless we give the church a chance to accept it by common consent. And two, when we present it for common consent, we ask for a vote of loyal opposition. Number three, doctrinally. Doctrinally, it is in there. It's in the DNC. It's there. It, it's, it's present. Joseph Smith didn't seem uncomfortable with loyal opposition as long as it was loyal opposition. To say loyal opposition is not part of the church, has no place here, ignores how Joseph implemented doctrines and how people went to him with questions. We also have quotes from Joseph Fielding Smith saying, if something doesn't mesh with the scriptures, then every member of the church is duty bound to reject it. He is giving you permission to be loyally opposed. And then I just come to the idea of logically, this idea that to have an organization where any kind of public opposition simply has no place comes off to me as being a dynamic that if you were to go out and study what cults look like, And again, I'm not calling Mormonism a cult, and anybody wants to make that connection is twisting my words. What I'm saying, though, is that that type of dynamic behavior is the type of dynamic behavior you find in cults, where no one's allowed to raise a voice of opposition. And and with that, I want to just go into this quote even deeper. I I just I just again I want to hit on the fact that logically I can't make that work. I totally get if you want to really spell out a line and say, look, if you are if you are going to walk in and tell the brethren they are absolutely wrong and you are absolutely right and hence they have to change or you're going to put your foot down, I totally get it. Let's draw that line. But if you're going to say that brothers and sisters in the church cannot publicly share with you that they disagree, they cannot publicly share with you that they have a different opinion and that they don't feel like you're looking at things from all angles and you want to say that's not allowed, then I'm absolutely, absolutely against that. Because without loyal opposition, all the positive changes we've made in this church don't happen. Because when a certain group of people are raised in a certain uh, uh, geographic location, they all happen to be males, they all happen to be white, they all happen to be people who have very similar life experiences to some extent, then they're going to have a certain mindset. And this is absolutely agreed upon within sociology. We talk about group think, we talk about group dynamics, there's absolutely points to be made here. And that when people who have had different experiences offer you their insight and simply share that, hey, we don't think you have all the facts and we don't think you understand all the angles and have you thought about this, this, and this, and I have to take a stand on a different side because I'm seeing the people that you're hurting and I'm not sure how you're reconciling this. And when I ask you questions about it, you just change the questions or decide not to answer the ones that I need answered, then, then man, you guys have got to allow for some of that. And to say it's not allowed, it, it just, it just feels, it just feels like a church that, uh, just wants blind obedience. It just wants to follow the leader mentality. And you guys have got to just make a stand and decide whether that's what you want. And that's fine. 40 years from now, you guys will be 3 million strong. Or if you want to, you know, start listening to other people and taking in the questions they're asking and just admit where you just don't have the greatest answers or where there's needed further light and knowledge is needed. Great. And then maybe we can grow to a church of 20 million or 30 million or 40 million. 
but as it stands right now, if you're going to marginalize some of the people that you do, and you're not going to really take on the questions that they're asking, and you're really not going to answer for the fact that people are hurting themselves, and you just want to kind of dodge all of that while just calling for members to not publicly be opposed to anything you say, then I can tell you where this is going to lead. I'll, I'll share, I'll share my perspective which is that in 20, 30, 40 years, this church is going to shrink in a major way. Our youth today will not tolerate this. They will not tolerate the non-transparency, the question-changing, the non-answers. They simply won't. Now, let's go back to the quote. Some of this opposition even comes from church members. Some who use personal reasoning or wisdom to resist prophetic direction... This is a black and white kind of comment. Here's why. When you paint all members who disagree with what you say and that what you say is prophetic wisdom and what they say is just the reasoning of the world, you're painting a black and white picture. The truth of the matter is we have some leaders of the church that when they talk, we're giving just the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of their culture or the wisdom of their prejudices. And it was the lay members who were offering the loyal opposition who were turning, who it turned out to be much more Holy Ghost inspired. And we have to grant that that's an historical fact in our history and we can't deny it. So when you paint those who offer loyal opposition as those who are just using the reasoning of the world and you give them no credibility that at ever any moment they were the ones who were led by the Holy Ghost, then you simply painted a black and white idea that doesn't fit. It doesn't work and it doesn't hold up. The other thing, too, just a little side note, if you go to the LDS.org text of this talk, in this quote, there is a link to Matthew 26, 24, which says, The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. I just want to say, to use this scripture to defend this part of the talk to me is is really harmful to say that anybody who disagrees with a general authority of the church is is betraying Christ and that it had been better that that person not been born that to me is is a large overreach especially in the context of everything else that's going on within these issues and the questions being asked and the answers not being given to say that anybody who disagrees with the brethren is betraying Christ and it'd be better that they not been born. Seems like a, a message that, uh, that I'm struggling to see the purpose of. Give themselves a label borrowed from elected bodies. The loyal opposition. This idea of loyal opposition is a whole lot older than American politics. And this has a root from the beginning of the time. Forget the word loyal opposition. The idea of one wanting to love and have concern for the group that they belong to, while still also raising a voice of concern and dissent and and a raising of the hand to ask sincere questions about the things that simply are not measuring up when one ponders and prays and studies out the point, has been here since the beginning of time. However appropriate for a democracy, there's no warrant for this concept in the government of God's kingdom. I've already shown that loyal opposition exists in our church. It is called for. It is theologically 
doctrinally and historically planted throughout our faith. To say it has no place in God's kingdom, I think simply brushes aside the complexity of this issue and paints it as this black and white idea. It is not. Loyal opposition exists in every facet of our church. And to ignore that simply misses the mark. Where questions are honored, but opposition is not. Questions are not honored. When a man asks how we could treat, what we should do, how we can help our homosexual members so that they can uh, take advantage of as much of the gospel as possible, and we change the question, when two weeks later someone asks another general authority a similar concept and that person changes the question, every time that someone raises their hand and, and asks a question, we brush off those questions or we change them or we simply ignore them or we don't answer them. And then we say, yeah, questions are honored. Questions are on. No, they're not. They're not honored. Here's a question. We have it in our history that all 15 men unitedly have been wrong in what they thought was doctrine that turned out to be a racist theory. Brethren, help me understand how I can then know for sure when something is the mind and will of God. Acknowledging, please, Questions are honored, right? Acknowledge to me then, specifically, that yes, all 15 of us have been united on things in the past and we've been wrong. And here's how we've tweaked the process so that now we get it 100% right. Help me understand that. Help me understand that when you teach that no one who speaks out of sight of their stewardship could possibly be led by God. That that person, you can just know with certainty they are wrong. And yet we have doctrinal examples in the Book of Mormon of Nephi speaking outside of his stewardship. When he builds the ship, goes up on the mountain, gets a revelation from God while while Lehi is completely well and good. Also, when Lehi receives the vision of the tree of life, it's Nephi who gives the people the interpretation. He's not the prophet. And so, for instance, if President Monson received a revelation and Brother Real decides to write the church and tell everybody what that dream meant, what that vision meant, what that revelation meant, people would say, I was absolutely off the mark. And yet Nephi does the same thing. Brothers and sisters, we've got to get this. Questions. If you're going to honor questions, brethren, people are asking sincere, difficult, hard questions, and nobody's answering them. You guys shift the question. Every time someone asks, how can you help this person? You guys decide to answer the question of why the church stands on this ground. That's not the question that's being asked. I'm suggesting, please, I'm begging Don't send someone back to their bishop and stake president who those people, one, don't hold the keys or authority to give the answers to the questions, and two, those people are going to support you guys so much that they're not even going to take that member super seriously and give them the chance, if they're right, for their idea to supersede your guys's. The system is broken, but it's nice when you're on your side of the line, when you're on your side of the paradigm, to say that you honor questions, but loyal opposition is not acceptable. You don't answer the questions. There are tons of them. Elder Ballard, you pointed people off to the scholars. People are asking you guys questions. Not once have I seen you guys stand up and say, man, all 15 of us at times have made mistakes. Not once have I heard you say, you know what? Sometimes our words may have hurt somebody. Not once have I heard you guys stand up and say to our gay brothers and sisters, stop killing yourself. Please do not tell me that questions are honored. When you don't take the questions seriously... And be vulnerable and be authentic. Brethren, how much do you make? How much are you paid? Brethren, how do you know? 
when God has spoken. Have you spoke to Jesus face to face? Have you? And if you haven't, tell us. Just say it. Just say, look, Jesus doesn't show up in the room. We're doing the best we can. Like that, that I can appreciate. That I can honor. You've given no safe space for someone in the church to be taken seriously, for their questions to be honored, for them to have room to share their disagreement, and to actually receive answers back to the tough questions. All I have seen is deflection and ducking. And meanwhile, many of us are seeing people hurt on a daily basis. I want my church, and I want my church to be around in 200 years. And I want my church to be thriving in 200 years. And I want my church to hurt as few people as possible as it helps them bring them unto Christ. Brethren, please recognize that I am offering you loyal opposition. And you have a chance to show right now, starting today, that you truly will honor our questions. May the Lord warm your shoulders. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.